let's talk about what happens when you make a phone call. Let's talk about the worst thing that can happen. Are you going to die by making that phone call? This is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acree. And our guest today is Phil Graham. Phil is the CEO and creator of the Beneficiary Liquidity Plan, a life insurance solution that bridges the gap during the most difficult time in a family, the loss of a loved one. Phil brings more than 20 years of financial services experience designing and distributing products through advisors and over his career has led the efforts of over $22 billion in insurance, investment, and annuity sales. Phil, welcome to Stay Paid. Thank you. Makes me feel old when you start talking about over 20 years. <laughs> Sorry, man. Hard to believe. Yeah. Hey, but you had 22 billion. I'm coming in up sales. on my 20th, uh, my 20 year anniversary here at Reminder Media this year. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Uh, just like Phil said. Yeah, pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah you hear that big number, 22 billion, but uh, you don't hear how terrible it was the first couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That's what we're here you, for. I mean, you literally, I mean, obviously amazing entrepreneur. I uh, would love to hear kind of the story of how you got to where you're at today. You're onto your second venture now. Um, but if you can kind of lead us up to today and how you actually generated that 22 billion in sales and, and where that took you. Well, I, I like to take it back right to the start. You know, we were working out of the basement of our founders townhouse. Um, I had one of those church tables, you know, where like the metal legs, you know, fold out. I know those tables. Well, uh, yeah, I grew up I a pastor's it. kid. So, you know, those were the tables on yeah. Wednesday nights. You tried to grab three of them to impress the girls in youth group. You yeah. know, you were <laughs> so that, that was my desk, no computer, a list of names, a ruler, a pencil and a highlighter and a phone. And I'm proud to say, um, that I made zero sales my first 12 months. Nice. <laughs> And, um, didn't do a whole lot better the second 12 months. And I remember the CEO of one of the largest insurance carriers happened to be in our office and he was very intimidating, especially for a kid that's, that's 24 years old. And we used to do these things called phantom calls where you'd go to your desk and you'd call the conference room and all your buddies are listening to you. You'd, you'd pitch the product and then you'd, they destroy you over the phone and you come back down and you'd critique the call. I love that. And I remember I was like the top guy in the office and I remember just being super, probably a little cocky and excited. And I remember came down there and, and I'll never forget. He took his glasses off and he's, he, he spin them around his hand like this. And he basically was like, Phil, you effing suck. <laughs> and he didn't say effing. Um, and I remember being traumatized, but he then went on to say, you're pitching product. Mm. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, that's what we do. He's like, no, you need to tell a story. So you need to ask questions first to find out what your client needs and wants. And then you need to paint a picture and tell a story about, yes, how your product is the solution, but don't just pitch the facts and, and the commissions or whatever. Like really paint a picture with words and get them to engage with how the solution that you bring to the table will, will solve their problems or help them achieve their goals. And that's where I really just saw my business start, you know, growing at a hundred percent a year, multiple years in a row. But that was the game changer for me was to get away from pitching product to telling stories and creating solutions. 
No, I, th- I love that so much because what it is, is people buy on emotion. They don't buy a logic, you know? And I think the biggest exactly. mistake is people like, it's like features tell, right? And stories sell. Um, it's the old saying, because you can convince people all day, the logic, they still are going to say, it doesn't feel right in my gut. And it's like, what does right. that even mean, right? Two plus two is four. It's not five. It's not six. Two plus two is four. It either makes sense or it doesn't. What does it mean? It doesn't feel right in, in the gut. And it's really the emotion. You got to you trigger that emotion in people. And at the end of the day, we only get paid when we move product, at least in my world. So that, that is part of the solution, but that's not what you're leading with. And I think so many people are just, you know, pounding the phones or sending out emails and everything's about products and features and benefits, but they're not really telling a story. And I think they're missing out on a lot of opportunity by not learning that as a, as a craft. Totally agree. So walk us through a little bit more of the journey, right? So you're in a basement uh, with the founder, started this company and you guys grow it. When, when did you exit out of the company? How big was it when you exited out? I mean, we were probably 200 employees and, and, you know, like I said, 2.3 billion of annual sales at that point. And your, your main clients that you were selling to were advisors Financial uh, advisors, insurance agents, yep. and typically, you, yes. And you we were, were the middleman between the insurance carriers okay. and the financial advisors that sell to the end consumer. Okay. So I want to pick your brain because obviously anybody who's driven up a company of 200 employees, you know, 2 billion in annual sales is obviously an incredible salesperson, right? Incredible relationship, especially in this game. So the listeners who don't know this game, like you're selling a financial advisor to come work with you and offer your products per se, you're the middleman, but offer the insurance carrier's products through you to their clients. And so it's a big relationship game, but it's also a big prospecting game, but you also got to help them with their marketing. So that's another value add that you're giving to them. Walk me through kind of this journey of how did you start building your own client base from a prospecting standpoint and talk to me a little bit about your sales process there and what it took you to actually build your book of business. I think, you know, early on, I, you know, I would literally try to work with anybody that could fog a mirror and had an insurance license. Like it was, it was anybody because you didn't have business. You almost felt like you were in this world of scarcity, which is a terrible mindset to, to be in. Yeah when things really started clicking was when I realized, okay, who am I capable of serving best? If there's hundreds of thousands of financial advisors out there, what, what's the makeup, you know, what's the avatar of my perfect client that I'm able to serve, not who I want to serve, who does my company best serve and who do I as the relationship person best serve. Mm. And that may not always be the biggest possible client. And I think that's where, you know, in sales, we're always trying to shoot elephants. Well, maybe your company has a BB gun mm. and, and you're chasing these elephants with a BB gun and then you just get burnt out, but you realize, wow, I got a BB gun. But if I shoot a hundred squirrels, I can make a million dollars. It's really... Point getting to know yourself and your company and, and taking the tools that you have and, and really targeting that on the right client, not the client you think you want. 
Mm. No, I think that's such a great point. And I think what happens to people, and, and I love what you said, I want to go back to, because I think it is powerful to people who are starting that are brand new. When you're brand new, you have to work with everybody. That whole idea of, of the people who fog the mirror, that's what gets you the ability to learn this business gets you the ability to actually learn what you're good at, what you're bad at. So everybody who's coming in, if you're hearing people say, Hey, look, you know, you got to know exactly who you're going after and everything like that. Beggars can't be choosers. You need to pound that pavement and you need to actually, you know, do what they would say, like in the music industry, you got to go play the bars, right? You got to go play the dive bars, the coffee shops with two people, one person, your mom sitting out there. I was a musician. So I had that. My mom was like the, (laughs) you got to get reps in. Doesn't matter what's at bats. Exactly. if If it's playing bars for eight hours. But then you You learn, what you're saying is you learn, hey, where do I actually best shine? Where do I actually have the most success? And one of the things that we learned from, what was it, Dan Allison? Mm -hmm. He said your your best um, ability to find out kind of who your ideal client is and who you should go after is your current clients that you had. Call them up and find out what did they love about you? What did they, what was the pain point you solved for them? What was the real value proposition? And he made the joke that people pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars for consultants to come in and tell them about their business and about their clients when all they have to do is call their actual deals that they had, their actual clients that they had. And that's going to be the best source of information possible for you. So walk us through then, right? You're, you find your ideal client, like the prospect prospecting methodology that you used. What was the prospecting methodology? Was it banging the phones? Was it social media marketing? Was it email marketing? Was it a little bit of everything to build your book of business? What was the prospecting methodology? I mean, originally it was a hundred percent phone because emails were still fairly uh, new and there wasn't social media at the time. But, you know, as it's evolved, especially with some of my, you know, my, my new launches, the phones, in my opinion, have to be a part of the process. But if you can utilize social media, target marketing, um, you know, LinkedIn, uh, referrals are still huge. Once you've kind of earned, earned the right to get those, but it still boils down to a phone call. You can't get clients unless you call them. At least I haven't figured out in my in my world how I get someone to do business with me and me make money without physically calling them at at some point. But all these great tools that are out there have helped really narrow down and you can target. Like we used to just get the list of names mm-hmm. and how you figured out who was your client was you had to call them profile them to see if they were a potential client and either keep them on the list or take them off. Well, now you can buy lists that have everybody's licenses, what carriers they're contracted with. And just through sheer thousands of dinners and business lunches and conferences, I also know who all the players are in the industry because it's, it's a big world, but it's a small world. Like you, you know, who, who you want to go after a lot of times today. I totally agree. It's same in our industry and in our business and the industries we work in because it's similar to you. Um, when you think about like picking up the phone, why, why do you think most people stray away from the phone? Most people are anti picking up the phone or don't do it. This is a fear of rejection. I mean, human nature is none of us want to be rejected. I did a, a sales presentation for a buddy of mine's real estate firm just on phone sales. And I said, okay, let's talk about what happens when you make a phone call? Let's talk about the worst thing that can happen. Are you going to die 
by making that phone call? Probably not. It's like, okay, no. Okay, so we can take death <laughs> off the list. You know, and I'll, and I'll ask around the room. I'll say, okay, everybody's been here. You've been making calls for five, 10 years. Have you ever had anybody physically assault you from a phone call? No. Okay. And I realize this example is a little absurd, but it makes my point. Okay. Have you any, have, have you ever had anybody cuss you out? And some people go, well, yeah, I think, okay, well, when was that? How many times? Like, well, I don't know. I just remember having this. Okay. So it wasn't so traumatizing that you actually remember the specifics of the experience just that it may have happened. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever been hung up on? Yeah, maybe a few times. Okay. Well, how many times? I don't know. A couple. Okay. Again, wasn't so traumatizing that you, that you remember the specifics. Have you ever had anybody say, no, thank you. Not interested. Well, yeah, that happens. Okay. But that wasn't painful. No. Have you ever had anybody actually do business with you when you called them? And they're like, well, yeah, of course. How much money do you make when somebody says yes? <laughs> well, if you're selling houses or insurance or whatever, it's a lot. Mm. So you're telling me you're not going to die. You don't really remember ever being, or you were never been assaulted. You don't really remember ever being cussed out. A few people have hung up on you and a lot of people say, no, thank you. But when somebody says, yes, you make a ton of money. What's the problem? Why wouldn't you make more calls if you make a ton of money when you actually get a yes? And it's just kind of overcoming that, that fear. And it's like, if you can check that off and be like, I'm not going to die, but I could make a lot of money. All right, sign me up. <laughs> I'm not going to die, but I could make a lot of money. It is that crazy. We were on a webinar the other day um, offering our Facebook ad services to people. It's a new product that we launched. And one of the pilot or beta testers that we had was my own brother who's in real estate. He generated 1,542 leads. He got, and this was over 2021, he got 15 transactions that resulted in $107,000 in commissions for him out of those 15 transactions. He lost, if you do the math, he lost 99% of the time. He generated 1,542 leads. You do the math, he only won 15 transactions. 99% of the time, if not more, 99 point something, he lost, he was said no to. He only had to win 1% of the time and he made over $100,000. Think about that. I mean, if you, yeah. if you frame that up for people and go, how many of you would like to have to only win 1% of the time and you can make over 100 grand? Raise your hand. I mean, you literally don't have to be right 99% <laughs> of the time, only 1% and you can make over 100 grand. And everybody would be like me, but they don't want to do the work because they, they take it right. so personally. They take it so personally when people reject them. It's crazy. You just got to look at the numbers. And then, and then how you grow from that is you get better. And now all of a sudden you, you're, you get 2% convert because you got better. You understand yep. it. You build in technology that weeds out some of the people who maybe aren't ready to go today. So you're focusing more on like the, the people, the high, the, the hotter leads. But we didn't even have that back in the day. We just had lists of people praying that they were still in the business. Somebody at least clicked on something to show interest. Yeah. I'll call those people all day long because they at least had some kind of interest in what I'm doing yeah. versus just a name and a phone number like Facebook and, and what you guys are doing to help people generate activity. Yep. 
has changed the game. And again, my buddy that's in real estate, he showed me a lot of the stuff they're doing to generate leads. I'm like, I would kill for that stuff. <laughs> like, like, what are you guys crying about over here? You guys have it easy. Somebody actually searched for a house and you're calling them knowing they just searched for a $700,000 house on the lake in your zip code. It doesn't get any easier than that. Yeah, it's crazy. What What's your belief system on how often you should call, like how many times and, and your thought process is there? My, how I used to do it was I wouldn't leave a message until, like I might call in the morning, I'd call at lunch and I'd call at the end of the day and I'd leave a message on the third time. So yeah, with cell phones, they see missed calls and such, but if they're not answering, I'm calling back until I can kind of figure out the right time of day. Yeah. Um, I think text text messages are powerful where I blend in a mix of phone calls, voicemail messages and my voicemail. You got to leave a good, if you're going to leave a voicemail message, you better leave a good voicemail message. Otherwise you're just wasting your time, but blend in some text messages and then some emails. So it's not just always the same form of communication that you're, you're pounding on them. Yeah. And now with being able to look at like, emails that are opened, like the open, right? You know, even if they're not talking to you, you know who's interested. That's what we found with these leads is that, yeah, Phil might not talk to me, might not answer my phone call yet, but he's opening my emails that I send. So I'm going to keep calling. We had a guy in our beta test, he called someone the 53rd time they picked up and they literally were a good lead. He sent it over to his lender. The person got pre-approved. He's showing them houses <laughs> to buy a house the 53rd 53 time. Times. I mean, think about that. My brother had a testimonial the 27th time he called the person. Now, granted, you know, you have to balance that out over time. But the reality is you call morning, afternoon, evening to figure out what time of day they actually prefer and what time of day they pick up. We found on average about 18 calls, 18 calls over the, over the course of usually like two to three weeks. Um, is what we found. I believe that. And for me, it's like, if I know someone's an ideal client, like, because again, I've defined who my avatar of my perfect client. Yeah. And if I know that person fits, I'll call them for years. And I mean, at, at my old company, it happened time and time again, where one of you know, myself or one of our sales team would have called on at least a monthly basis and left consistent value add messages for years. And then one day something changes in that person's life and they call you because like, man, you were consistent. You always provided value. You never asked for anything. Like we, you didn't demand, we asked, but we didn't demand anything. You always gave me ideas. Um, if something changed, you're my first call. Yep. And if you balance your time blocks, right, if you know they're an ideal client, for me, my goal was I wanted to weed out people as quickly as possible. Is this a good fit, bad fit, bad fit off the list. That was a productive call for me. If I could eliminate somebody from my call list, mm. I took that as a positive. And then the people I wanted as tight of a list as possible where I could just hammer on my ideal prospects as much as I could and figure out how to get their business. You know, what was going to be that, that trigger that got them to move over? Well, one of the game changers for me was realizing you never lose in a cold call. I don't know if people realize that in, or not. You never lose in a cold call because you already started out at zero. So you either get a yes or you go back to zero. 
You never lose. You can never go backwards in a phone call, usually, unless I guess you're absolutely terrible. And then they, <laughs> right. they actually Let's call somebody you are working with. Yeah. <laughs> but you can never lose in a phone call. Are you dreading the thought of making cold calls? Regardless of your experience level, cold calling can be one of the toughest parts of your job. But at the end of the day, it's also one of the best ways to get new customers. If you want to learn how to get better at cold calling and close more deals, go to ReminderMedia.com forward slash cold calling and download our guide to cold calling for free. That's ReminderMedia.com forward slash cold calling. Take action on this today. Okay, I want to switch gears here because you've built you know, a profession on helping financial advisors be successful right? And building their business. And you guys offered, you know, a lot of just different creative solutions from a marketing standpoint, product solutions that they could offer to their clients to be able to service their clients. Well, why do you think financial advisors fail at such a high rate? I think I read one time, it was like 90% of uh, people who get into the profession fail within a couple years of being in the profession. What is it that financial advisors really need to do in order to focus on growing a business and then sustaining a business? And then, you know, obviously the third phase would be like exiting a business, but what do they need to do? Yeah, I mean, most everybody I work with is already established. So for me, I was told guys, I'm like, I don't teach you how to get into this business. I work with people that have already been successful and I help them get or become more successful. I think these young advisors need to be teaming up with a successful mentor. And it does a couple things. One, it shrinks your, your growth curve because you're, you're working with someone that's already got their teeth kicked in. They figured out some of the processes. Um, they can help feed you some clients, but then more importantly, from a succession plan, if you do it right, you're setting yourself up to take over this person's businesses someday possibly as well, because that is a big issue in our industry too, is people wanting to exit, but how do they exit? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of big companies buying up some of the smaller firms. We see a lot of that. But if I was a young guy getting into the business, I mean, my success came from, I had a mentor, you know, I always joked and said, you can take away everything in my life, money, relationships, everything, but you can't take away what I learned on how to build a successful business and my work ethic. So I have confidence that literally I can start over tomorrow. As long as I still had in my brain, everything I learned that I can start a company in, in just about any industry and be successful because I had those foundations. But I learned that by having a mentor that threw me to the wolves and let me make mistakes, but coached me and taught me things as well. So I think that traditional, there's so many traditional models in this world that are broken. doesn't matter what industry you're in. The world is ripe for disruption and, and change. And I think the old school model of hiring these kids out of college, go sell your family and friends and get referrals. And I, I don't think that works in the insurance industry anymore. I think pairing up with a successful mentor would be my number one choice for somebody wanting to get in this business. Mm, that's awesome. Well, if you think about it in the past, like the Amway models, the insurance models and stuff, you did not have the internet. Yeah. Like you didn't have the ability using data 
to hone in easily on your ideal client that we're talking about. So you had to almost start with your family, which is who you knew, and hope that they would introduce you to another person so you could eventually get to one person, to another person, to another person. Now, you literally can use data, even with direct mail, you can use data to, you know, target who you want, your ideal clients, and then you can pick up the phone and prospect. And then the mentoring thing, I think you're spot on. I think that's a way to shorten so much of your time frame. And a lot of people don't get a mentor or don't go in and work for somebody else because they want to own the whole pie. And they don't realize that, man, Not only could you own a smaller piece of a bigger pie, but even if you don't own this whole pie, the speed it's going to give you. The acceleration uh, is off the charts. Yeah, you'll you'll create your own pie so much faster than trying to do it on your own. So much faster. You guys will laugh at this. So we we used to travel and do roadshows all over. I would rip the insurance pages out of the yellow pages at the hotel because there was no way to look up insurance agents in different cities. So we literally... (laughs) tear the pages out of the yellow pages when we travel. <laughs> Dude, that's you know. amazing. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Talk about cold calling. Yeah. So tell us about, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you, you have the ability to kind of start another business and he, you know, you had that, that confidence after those years of experience. You have started a new business a couple of years ago now, the beneficiary liquidity plan. Talk to us about what that's, um, what that's all about and how you're helping really the end user, but also providing unique solutions for the financial advisor. Yeah, you know, I, I was blessed when I sold out as a partner in my old company. I had a three-year non-compete, which gave me time to like really figure out what I wanted to do, where I could provide value. And the one thing I was burnt out from was, you know, in my old world, I had to convince somebody to divorce their current relationships mm. and marry me, or I couldn't get paid. Yeah. And we were really good at it, but that's how the industry worked, is like. You, nope, you can't, you can't work with them. You got to work with me or I don't get paid. And I was like, there's got to be a way I can provide value, not only to the financial advisors, but to the end consumer without disrupting their relationships. And, you know, we saw this statistic that there's 70 plus trillion dollars transferring hands over the next 20 years. And I get excited with money in motion. That's how we get paid when money's moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but then I saw the next statistic and I'm going to use the nice one, not the terrible one, but it's 66% of beneficiaries fire their parents' advisor immediately upon inheriting wealth. Well, that's a really scary number because if 66% of the assets that a financial advisor manages starts walking out the door, they can't refill the bucket fast enough. So I'm like, okay, why? Why would they fire the advisor when they're inheriting 500,000, a million, $5 million, whatever the number is. Well, the easy answer is they don't have a relationship. And that's where Reminder Media really helps solve that. But I built out what's called the hero bridge. Mm -hmm. But then it's also, I truly believe the death claims process. All the money is tied up for typically at least 30 days. We just had a widow in New Jersey had a joint account with her husband. It was tied up for three weeks because the bank wanted like an L9 tax form and something else. They froze this poor lady's joint bank account. Wow. Wow. But for other beneficiaries, it's automatic because everything requires a death certificate, which in most states takes three to four weeks minimum, six to eight weeks in a lot of states. So with the beneficiary liquidity plan, we take assets that the client already has 
We allocate them to the beneficial liquidity plan. It's available in less than 48 hours without requiring a death certificate. So on delivery of the policy, the financial advisor meets the beneficiaries because they need to know it's in place. So we're starting to build that bridge. When the family, when the client dies, the advisor's the hero now showing up with money instead of the the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And then when we incorporate the reminder media bi-monthly communications, the advisor's now staying in touch six times a year. They met the beneficiary that we put the beneficiary liquidity plan in place. And then when mom or dad passes away, the financial advisor not only has a relationship with the beneficiary, but the hero showing up with money. Mm. So we're able to monetize their existing book of business, but more importantly, build that bridge to keep those assets when their clients pass away. Yeah, it's really, really genius. I had no idea it was such a pain point of not being able to access the funds. So if my parents passed away and you needed the funds to be able to do the burial stuff and be able to do all the transition stuff, you can't access the funds right away. Normally, Somebody's having to pay out of pocket and pray they get reimbursed. Yeah, I never knew that was such a pain point. But it is genius. And the real genius part of it is you're allowing the financial advisor to get introduced in a great way to the beneficiary to the kid who's going to be in now a it's positive that, way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's that's that right. intro. And then they come in at the end, you know, not saying it's a horse on shine with shining armor or a knight with shining armor. Horse with shining <laughs> you, can have, armor. you could put the armor on the you horse, could put the armor it's there, okay. but you're going to come in like the night at the end of, you know, Hey, taking care of them when that, when that tragedy happens. One of, one of my advisors up in New Jersey said, you know, he's been going to clients wakes and funerals for 30 years. And he always used to be Jerry, the financial advisor. He says, now, the beneficiaries go, oh, it's Jerry with the money. <laughs> he was like, I'd much rather that's be goal. Jerry with the money than Jerry, the financial advisor. Oh, man. Yeah, that sounds crazy. like a, an all, uh, really unique and, and really cool solution that you've got. Um, one final question for you, Phil. If you, uh, knowing what you know now, we always like to pick people's brains, people that have been successful uh, in their career. Knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell younger Phil? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I think you know, not, not be so hard on myself the first couple of years when I wasn't having success. Mm. Um, and I think if, if I could have found someone that was, was doing my job, that was already where I wanted to be, that I could learn from and, and emulate and ask questions to my success because we were kind of trailblazing. We didn't know what we were doing. We were figuring it out as, as we went. If I would have had guidance on what that successful person in my role looked like that I could copy, I would have been all over that. Cause I'd still do that today. I mean, through books and, and, and podcasts and, you know, spending time with guys like you and your team, I'm always getting better, but I didn't feel like I had that that early on. So I would have tried to seek out someone that was already where I wanted to be and learn as much from them as I could. Mm. Well, that we hear, we hear that so often. That's, yeah. that's a, a common response. So it kind of tells everybody listening that if you don't have that person, if you're younger in your career, you haven't found that mentor yet. It really doesn't matter what time in your career you go and get that, find someone that's where you want to be uh, and ask them, ask them to help guide you. All right, Phil, thank you so much for being here. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you and learn more about the beneficiary liquidity plan. Yeah, the easiest way, just connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Uh, Phil Graham in North Carolina, you'll see me, my smiling face right on there. Connect with me on LinkedIn. All my contact information's on there. And uh, that's probably a great place to start. Love it. Thank you again for being here. Thank you all for listening to Dive Deeper in this episode. Get those uh, links that we talked about here. You can go to statepaidpodcast.com. While you're there, you can get the video and the show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your support, there's two ways you can do it. The first way is head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review along with a review on what you thought of this episode. And the best way to support the show is to tell a friend and share this on your social media. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acre. Here's your action item. You just heard Phil. I mean, he, from a basement, grew a company to annual $2 billion in sales, right? Here's how he did it. He said he pounded the phone. He wasn't scared of the phone. I'm going to tell you right now, what you should do as an action item is pick up that phone and call your leads. You know you have leads right now that you're not calling. You know you have past clients that you haven't talked to in months. Get on the phone with those people. What's the worst that can happen? Are you gonna die? Are you gonna get assaulted? No, we learned from Phil, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) They're gonna say maybe not interested. Maybe they'll hang up on you, but chances are that's not very painful. So pick up that phone. Remember the difference between top producers and mediocre producers is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 